For so very long, it's been... Go on, George. Tell how it's gonna be. But in the end, the commission only said... We figured it 17 different ways. And every time we figured, it was no good. Because no matter how we figured it... But no matter how you figure it out, I still don't get as much as anybody else. Somebody don't like the way we figured it. So now, there's only one way to figure it. And that is every man for himself. When Black Friday comes, this is the end. It's the end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it. Or is it now? As a new year hits, through it all, Beaver Nation moves ahead with resiliency and hope. Sun's up. Mm -hmm. Looks okay. The world survives into another day. And the way forward goes through, as it must, The Joe Beaver Show with John Warren and Mike Parker. The number of times I heard these guys' voices over and over and over. Still can't find it. Ah, can't find it? We can help. This here is 1240. 1240. It's always been 1240. My client says it's 1240. Yeah, plus 93.7 FM and streaming live at KEJOAM.com and on the KEJO app. It's the Joe Beaver Show. Well, yes, it is. Good morning, everybody. Good morning on a very wet Wednesday. It is the Joe Beaver Show. I'm John Warren, and filling in for Mike Parker across the way from me, T.J. Matthewson, as we just keep rolling along uh, the partnership when Mike goes out of town. Hello, T.J. Good morning. Good to see you. Good to see you. We have a guest waiting on the line, so we need to get right to it. But here's the scene setter for today's program. Laura Burt, we're, we're a week away from softball starting, and we say that was surprised every year because it comes a week before baseball. But then we were talking and said, wow, well, I can't believe baseball starts in two weeks. So Laura Berg is on the line. We'll get to Laura and then Rich Burke at 12.05 today to discuss his experiences kind of being a call-up for Blazer Broadcasting and a few other things. We'll get his thoughts on the Portland Diamond Project's ideas of, of uh, uh, what they uh, talked about yesterday, which we'll get into. We don't have time. Uh, you you have a new head coach, by the way, mm, Mike quick, McDonald. Quick yeah, thought on that. That's, That's pretty good. News breaking about ten minutes ago. Pretty good. Number one candidate eventually uh, eventually lands, even yeah. this late in the coaching cycle. Exactly. You can't complain about that. Let's talk softball and bring in Laura Berg, who we haven't uh, spoken to since last spring. But uh, you know, obviously, just one of my all time favorites. And I, I cannot introduce you or even talk to your players, Laura without bringing up you being the most decorated softball player in America. So <laughs> I'm just going to keep that cliche going as our relationship continues uh, while you're coach well, at Oregon State. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're sick of hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I dropped that with the new players. Like, wow, when you were being recruited, did you realize you were being recruited by? And then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. So anyway, really good to have you on and, and fun to uh, to chat. Um you know, TJ, TJ is with me. He does the TV games for you, and uh, we're both kind of looking at things going, okay, we got to ne- ne- take a look at the roster, who you've lost, who you have coming back. Let's just start with that. Give us an overview as you guys get ready for this upcoming year, and then we can get into some of the nuts and bolts. Yeah, um, you know, I've got uh, Kiki Escobar, who is back. Um, she was injured uh, last year. You're going to hear that a lot Um Lisey Campbell, uh, she is back. She'll be our first baseman, um, switching off with Charity, Sebe, Atasi. Um, all three of those have been, were injured, so they redshirted last year. Same with uh, Sarah Hindigas, back on the mound. Savannah Watley, back at shortstop. And so 
Uh, we have Logan Hulon, who is a transfer from the University of Texas. Um, we've got uh, Maddie Simon back from a from a, a redshirt year, and so it, it was kind of the theme of last year with the, the injuries. And so it, it's exciting to have these guys back. You know, having uh, Abby Dore behind the plate, having her sister Paige uh, in the outfield somewhere. Uh, Eli Gottlieb um, roaming in the outfield as well with Morgan Howie, who are returners. Coach, what was something you learned last year with having to really test your roster depth and all these, all these, uh, all these really just crucial pieces to the College World Series team in '22 <laughs> that just weren't playing at all last year? What, what was your biggest takeaway? Yeah, the biggest thing was just to be supportive of of the kids who were getting opportunities who normally don't get opportunities. Um, you know, they were a great group of kids to be around. I really loved having them here um, and just, you know, being able to, to develop them as much as we could um, and get them ready for, for the season, you know. Uh, it, it's a part of athletics, being injured, and it is what it is, and you deal with it, and it's kind of the, the next woman up kind of a philosophy. Now, I know you had high expectations. Do you feel like that, that forced, it was a forced investment will pay off this year? Uh, well, you know, there's a lot that you can learn by watching. And so I know that those that had to sit out and couldn't do anything, it's really, really, really hard to do. And so um, after each game or after each weekend, it's like, okay, what did you observe? What did you see? What did you learn? What, did, what was your takeaway from the weekend? And so I'm hoping from that knowledge that they took um, from last year that they'll be able to implement it and um, uh, perform the way that they're capable of performing. Laura Burke joining us. When did the Door family reunion become a reality? <laughs> uh, it was, I want to say, the fall of last year. So not this past fall, but the year before. Um, so we had been recruiting Paige from the Northwest Bullets for, for a while, and uh, we were lucky enough to be able to get her to come here. That's pretty cool. What about Parker? Does Parker play softball? Because I know Parker's in high school right now. She plays on the Corvallis High School team that we had last week and we'll have again here on Friday. Uh, does she play? She, she does play, yes. Um, I, I don't know how much I can talk about her. Um, right, yeah, I get with, that. With her being a recruitable age. Um, but, yes, she is, is quite the athlete, just like her sister. Pretty cool. What about how, how do you guys set up in the circle this year? I know Sarah's back and, and healthy, but what about behind her? Yeah, we've got Sarah. We've got uh, Logan uh, Hulon, again, the transfer from University of Texas. She was also at the College World Series when we were there in 2022. Uh, and then we have Ellie Garcia, who um, got a lot of uh, pitching time and experience last year uh, due to the injuries to Tarney and to Sarah. Um, and she really, um, you know, took on that role and accepted it and, and loved being in the circle and having the ball in her hand. And then we have Chloe Moffitt, who is a senior. Uh, she was a JUCO transfer from Northern California. And so we've got a lot of experience uh, in the circle, which is huge because that's where the game starts. Sarah, what did you guys miss, Coach? Laura Berg joining us, head softball coach at Oregon State, joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. What did you miss the most about not having Sarah down the stretch last season? Oh, man. You know, Sarah is quick pace on the mound, so the games just fly really fast. Uh, Sarah's demeanor on the on the circle. You know, it didn't matter if uh, she was getting hit or if she was not getting hit. Um, she had that same um, calm, cool composure on the field, and so that that bleeds to the defensive players. They'll they'll pick up on that, and so um, 
you know, that experience of being at the College World Series. You know, she had some huge series wins for us her freshman year when Mariah was hurt. And so um, we just we missed having that leadership in the circle. What about your schedule, Coach? How did you, how did you like how it shook out? I love our schedule. I think it really prepares us for uh, the Pac-12. You know, we're playing some really good teams with Florida and Michigan a couple of times. We've got South Florida, who usually, you know, gets uh, gets some votes uh, in the rankings each year. And so I'm really excited of how our tournament, we play Tennessee again in at the Mary Netter, uh, Notre Dame. And so it's some really, really good competition for us. Yeah, four trips, <clears throat> four trips before you come home on March 8th. You never seem to back down from anybody and you want it that way don't you because you got to get into this difficult Pac-12 conference so you might as well be ready uh and you do you keep that in mind as you're shaping up your non-conference schedule absolutely we've got to have some tough games that are going to prepare us to get ready for the UCLA's and and the Washington's and so you know we've got to have some games that you know may not be so tough um to kind of help us with you know obviously you have to have more wins than you do losses to go postseason and uh, I think it, it, this schedule really does a good job of complementing both. All right. We won't, we won't linger on it, but just a quick thought on just the way, way that things have been going with the conference and all the drama in these last five <laughs> or six months and how it applies to you and your program. What are you talking about? What drama? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's one thing in, in, in athletics is that teaches you to control what you can control, and all we can control right now is this season. And so we have to we have to be able to play catch. We have to be able to hit the ball. We have to be able to pitch the ball. Uh, you know, we can't control anything that's beyond this. We're we're it is what it is. We're we're in the WCC, um, and you know we'll we'll make the best of it. Our travel will be a lot easier compared to our other X Pac twelve opponents. I guess you call them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're going to be all in California. Parents are going to be able to watch them play. Travel is super easy. And so, you know, um, like I said, it is what it is. And I got all the faith in the world and in Scott Barnes and our president to be able to rebuild the Pac-12. So that's what it is. Do feelings come into it if you're thinking about perhaps scheduling former Pac-12 opponents to make travel easier uh, in the non-conference going forward? Or do you say, no, they, they left us and we're done with them? Um, uh, that's such a tough question. Um, emotional wise, I, I just want to say no, forget you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, RPI wise, it, it may not benefit us. Mm. Um, there are a few sexual opponents where I'm just like, forget you guys. I don't ever want to play you again. I don't ever want to see you again. So. Could you give us a, just a guest uh, a guesstimate rpi wise the difference between what you're in right now with the with the pac-12 and what the wcc offers for some of our listeners yeah it's really gonna it's really gonna hurt us rpi wise because you know we're um i don't know how it is that we're number two in the country as far as the toughest um conference in the country because we've had more teams in the college world series the last couple of years in the sec um but our ICI is really high being in the conference that we're in. So scheduling is going to be very important next year um, to, to get our RPI up there pretty high. Uh, and then, you know, with the people, the squads that we have, the people we have on our squad, I mean, uh, we should, and should is the key word, win the, win the WCC. But, you know, it's, the game is won on the field, not on paper. 
So last fall, Laura Burke joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. You picked up four new players, Harmony Andrade, Paige Baumgarter, uh, Hannah Moreno, and Isabella Valdez, uh, utilities and infielders there. Do you think any one of those four will make a, an impact right away for your program? I do, absolutely, absolutely. I think, you know, anybody that we bring in here, um, you know, has an opportunity to, to be a returner uh, in the starting position. Uh, so I, I think being able to bring athletes like those four um, to really push people is what gets our program better. And, you know, we're going to obviously go, you know, towards to the portal. Um, we've always benefited from the portal, and we'll continue to grow our program that way. Yeah, you, when you said there at the beginning, it reminded me of what Pat Casey used to say. He says, I don't make the starting lineup. The players do. So do you yeah. make it well known to them? Look, everything's open for everybody. I want the best players on the field. Yes. Speaking of Pat Casey, he's walking right by me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> nice. you know, it, it is. And I tell the athletes, you know, every year, you write the lineup. Not me, you do. And it starts in the fall. You know, it's not something that just starts in January. It starts in the fall. And so it's like, look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, did I do everything I possibly could to be in the starting lineup? And if you can't answer that question honestly, then there you go. Last thing for me, Coach, Laura Berg joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. Is there anything new to Kelly Field this year that fans might not know about that they'll see when they arrive uh, coming up here in March and April? <laughs> we are looking to replace the flagpole and make it higher so that it looks so small against our amazing scoreboard. Um, I do want to, um, you know, in the dream world, to be able to build over our visiting um, bullpen, so then you put, like, concession stands out there and have a beer garden because all, you know, softball parents love their beer and, um, <laughs> you know, all of that again. And, you know, hopefully we can eventually get the fearless campaign uh, where it needs to be so we can have our locker room on the outside of our outfield pen. Nice, nice, very nice. Coach, we really appreciate your time. You've got Florida, the second game. Don't overlook Bethune-Cookman, but you got Florida <laughs> a week from Friday. Yep. Uh, best of luck with the schedule. It's the same as, ev as every year, so we understand you have to be away for a while be before the weather turns and you can make some home games, and you are coming home uh, March 8th, I believe. So best of luck. We'll get you on a couple of times between then and now, and thanks for taking time out for us here before the season's. Well, thank you for having me. Go Bees. You got it. There you go, Laura Bird. Uh, and they will start a week from Friday, which is February the 9th, uh, 9.30 in the morning against Bethune-Cookman. This is at the uh, Rawlings Invitational in Tampa, Florida. Then they've got Florida that day, and then uh, Illinois State on Saturday, South Florida the next day, and then Michigan on Sunday. So it's so a pretty good schedule. Of course, Florida, uh, they, they faced Florida in the Women's College World Series just two years ago. Laura Bird. Eight out of 11 seasons as head coach, over 500. Five regionals and one Women's College World Series just two years ago. And who knows what would have happened last year. Just besieged, as you well know, yeah. by injuries. Yeah, they were missing about six, two-thirds of their starting lineup and, <sighs> and, and top pitcher. It's, it's hard to replace in any sport. And if, you're, if, you're lose, if you lose all those, and certainly that reflected on the Beavers' record last season. But anticipating a bounce back this season, especially I mean, especially just getting Sarah Hendigas back, who, who's, the, who's projected to be the ace in the, in the circle for, for Oregon State. When, when you lose your ace and you lose most of those innings there at the top and the person you can rely upon for a win a week, and it's it's tough to bounce back on. I did love the idea of like, hey, can we cover up the 
cover up the away bullpen with more mm-hmm. bleachers, put them underneath, and put almost the the uh, it's not Casey's corner; it's the other corner, the down the right field line. Uh-huh. Is that Casey's corner? Well, it's not for softball. It's not they, for baseball, but, but yeah, yeah, in 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 that right down the down the right field line, <laughs> um, and you know, put beer up there. Like, hey, that'd be great. Softball, we like beer too. Dress it all up, and you know, shoot for doing something new every year. Yeah, which uh, you know requires some uh, some some money and mm. some uh, uh, donations to the softball program. Which Kelly Field, they have gotten a lot of of support. It's, just in these last few years. It's a fantastic place to watch a ball game if you haven't gotten the chance. I mean, the, the talk about the upgrades. The video board upgraded looks it looks fantastic mm-hmm. now. Selfishly, the stream now looks fantastic. If you don't make it out, the Oregon State produced live stream looks professional mm-hmm. it, it looks like something that should be on television but it's free to you on the pac-12 website which is great yeah. uh great and nice and the and the, all the seats are great too so yeah. you sit you're right on top of the field and it, and it's fun softball is yeah uh, i don't mean this in a detrimental way but it's a fast game too it's i mean you're not fast. sitting there for three and a half hours no. outside you are there for 90 minutes to two hours the the game there's a lot more action in the game with everything a lot closer together a lot more balls in play yep. stolen bases bunting etc all the things people complain there's not enough of in baseball you get it in softball like, you get it in softball I had to get used and, to that when I was calling some softball games mm-hmm. and it's like wow look at that uh, a, a routine uh, you know base hit to right field is not it's basically you get thrown out at first yeah you could get thrown out at first and and, and everyone's got to be alert because of because of the close confines mm-hmm. where you get picked off back backpicked that much easier too it's it's fantastic and especially for this last season of conference play i mean there's going to be some great opportunities to watch some some phenomenal uh, some phenomenal opponents uh at kelly field so recommend that i mean it looks like the home schedule is uh as is i mean arizona's here the first weekend mm-hmm. then uh so they're on the road at asu they're on the road at washington home against ucla first weekend of april uh, home against Stanford. I mean, those are three premier programs right there. UCLA, Stanford, and um, and Arizona coming and to Kelly Utah's Field this very year good too. They'll yeah, come in. Yeah, and that's the final uh, final home weekend of the season. Uh, and then they finish the season on the road against Cal. Pac-12 I mean, tournament this year is at Stanford, mm-hmm. and then of course the uh, the regionals and supers, and then women's college world series, which we saw that great run just two years ago. And mm-hmm. How fun was that? That was just great. Yeah, it's it's amazing, but I uh, always appreciate Coach Lorberg joining us. Uh, always a good uh, a good interview, and looking forward to chatting chatting uh, chatting with her as the season goes along. I'm peeking at the schedule. I only think I'm going to get uh, the Stanford series. I think I'm going to be out of town on the mm. for the first series. It's disappointing, but hopefully someone has some fun with that. The setup. I mean, really, if you get a chance to watch the live stream. For softball, it's the same quality as baseball now because there's not only not only are the cameras television quality, mm-hmm. they've replay too. There are replay and multiple angles, and uh, the the details fantastic, and you don't miss on much. The graphics it's good. are good. Graphics are good too. I mean, it. Uh, I say this out of respect to my alma mater, which is a journalism school with a lot of people trying to go into television and either broadcast or produce and graphics behind the scenes. The stuff here at Oregon State looks better. Wow, that's great to know. Clearly better. Yeah, it's that. not close. Really? And that's, you know, that is in due part to the the boosters and the Burka family who invested a lot of money 
into Kelly Field to make it what it is and to put it as close to on par with Goss Stadium as it can in terms of not only a game day experience, but a watching experience at home for you to support the team when they're doing well. And I, I got to say, it it's, it looks phenomenal. It, it looks phenomenal. And it's some of the investment that we've seen around the country from programs investing in softball, most yeah. specifically the SEC and how much money they invest to that. Almost all of their games are on television um, with, with you know tel- producers and uh, a play-by-play and a color and uh, not always someone in the dugout, but still right. it is professional quality and it makes it that much more appealing for people to go watch. And there's a reason a lot of players want to go play there because they get, they're very visible and the brands are well I'm, noted and, I'm telling and you, the investment in those, in those properties are, are, are phenomenal. And I can recall, I can recall not long ago, I went and called the softball on the radio, women's college world series, 2006. Boy, that was a while ago. And during that time backwards, maybe even 2010, 2012 backwards, it was all Pac-12, historically. The Women's College World Series was dominated by the Pac-12, still is in many ways, uh, getting at least a team into the the, the tournament itself every year since it started, and then then, uh, the the finals. For 22 of the first 24 years, the Pac-12 had a team either win it or be in it. In the finals, the absolute finals, the, not just the tournament. There, there wasn't a team west of the uh, east of the Mississippi to win a college World Series until 2012. Right, right. right. So it, it was dominated by the conference. The conference still is. Now, she says number two to the SEC. Uh, that's, I think that's off of volume. Okay, okay. Well, because the SEC, I think, has 14 softball programs. The Pac-12 has nine. So, so the, the conference, yeah. And, and, yeah. and you, you were right about that. The, the, during not that long ago, here, with the, the Joe Beaver show on the air, a few years back, the SEC and even, um, uh, even the Big 12 really put some money into softball and started, to, and, and started stealing coaches from here. Yeah. Arizona State's coach went down to, uh, I want to say, Texas. Texas A&M. Uh, Texas Are you A&M. thinking Trisha Ford? No, it was before that. Turn it around. Well, this is about 15 years ago. And turn that around mm. right away. Yeah. And then, of course, Oregon's coach goes to Texas and so on and so forth. But the conference just absolutely dominated softball, so much so that the residual effect of the SEC kind of taking over, there's still a lot, a lot of uh, history and a lot of, uh, of success by yeah. the Pac-12 in recent softball World Series. So what all of this to say, that on this very topic, and I'm glad we talked with Coach Berg about this, but not really delve into it, is just the crime that it is that the conference is collapsing because, you know, football, we always talk about that. You talk about basketball. But softball is something that this is, it's a crime. How all of those old statistics, all of that, they're there. They will never go away, just like a good recording of a song. But it can't be built upon. It's, it's over with. And that, that's, that stinks. For now. For okay, now. For now. Yeah, for now. It could come, it, you know, I think we, we agree that there will be a common sense moment sometime in the future. But it definitely stinks for the next couple of seasons yeah. for Laura. She said it's going to be way harder for them to get in the postseason now but, because of that. Because they can't, they don't have the <laughs> RPI bump. Even if they lose playing Stanford, playing UCLA, playing Arizona, playing Arizona State. The, even losing the RPI, if they're, they're very high in RPI, you're not going down very much. Right. And it benefits you when you get one win. You, you jump up that much more, and, it, and it's more valuable. And now they're essentially going to have to go win the West Coast Conference to get in so the every question, single year. The question now, 
is this, and this is true for the other sports, except for, of course, baseball is going to go on its own. Can you continue to, to recruit at the level you're recruiting with the facilities you have, which are, are going to be better than what you're, you're seeing in the West Coast Conference? Can you recruit the way you are now? If so, you should dominate the West Coast Conference. Win that tournament and get into the in the tournament in theory, for the next two years. In theory, yes, she did mention the appeal of staying playing a lot of games in California, and a good chunk of Oregon State's roster is from California, right. and that's a very easy sales pitch. Hey, you can always your parents will always be able to watch you no yeah. matter what, and that's a big appeal to some people. And short drives, all of that, that's a huge appeal for and, if you're recruiting against Stanford and Cal. And Oregon State will have the best facilities in the conference too, and that helps. But it will. You're right. In the end, of the, at the end of the day, competition and postseason exposure matters, and that's that's. It's just harder to sell in the West Coast yeah, Conference, unfortunately, and it stinks for Laura. Yeah. And they put a lot of effort and a lot of dollars into this program, and for not, it, it's not Oregon State softball's fault, nor is it UCLA softball's fault, or Arizona softball's uh, fault, or any of these other softball programs' fault mm-hmm. that they are splitting off and playing in different conferences next year. That's all made way, 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 way way above your head, Yep. Uh, which is why I think they will be scheduling and playing each other when convenient in the future, because I think it's beneficial to both sides. No doubt. All right. Um, let's take a time out. Our thanks to Laura Berg, Oregon State Softball. They start a week from Friday on February 9th at a tournament in Florida. It's here. Speaking of it's here, baseball is here, and tomorrow morning we're going to talk with Aaron Fitt. We have to record him because he's not available, and I wanted to get him this week, not next week, leading up to the season starting. And uh, there's plenty to talk about with Aaron Fitt about baseball. Beaver baseball, Travis Bazana, Oregon State's offense, all of the expectations, all the different polls, everything. We'll, so we'll, uh, TJ and I will we'll conduct that interview tomorrow and then play it back during the show. If you want any questions for him, just text him on the University Honda text line, 541-497-5356, which is also the Downward Dog phone line if you want to call in on anything. When we come back, we'll uh, revisit uh, some topics of the day. Um, what was the one we taught? We started out with, of course, we, we mentioned the Seahawks got a new coach. Uh, we were going to talk about, what were we going to talk about? Let's react to some baseball from yesterday. Baseball. That's right. That's right. And some other things too. Um, some basketball and, and a few other things. So all of that coming up here on this edition of the Joe Beaver show, Rich Burke will join us. He did some broadcasting for the Blazers and does he, in fact, he had to uh, forego a couple of Pac-12 games, including, I think, Last Sunday's Oregon State women's game against Utah. I think he gave that up for the Blazer uh, broadcast. And uh, so we'll talk with Rich about that at 12.05. If you have any questions, comments, or anything like that, again, the text line is 541-497-5356. Back after this timeout on Joe Radio. K-E-J-O. 1240. I had to go pick up my wife last night at the Eugene Airport at 8.35. So as I get in the car... Uh, I tuned in, and you were at Crescent Valley High School mm. calling the game. Did The only thing I'm not sure of, did Crescent Valley lead wire to wire? Yes, they did. Because when I tuned in mid-first quarter, they were up. They led, yeah, they led until about under a minute remaining. And then Kaylee Cordell for South Albany hits a go-ahead three-pointer, oh, and so Crescent Valley had... Hit that okay. Yeah, Crescent Valley had uh, had botched a couple of plays on offense. They turned the ball over. They just had some really sloppy offense on their end, trying to nurse about a four point lead. Mm-hmm. And then Sal Nomini gets a go ahead three. And 
a couple of chances at the free throw line for Crescent Valley. They tied up the free throw street shooting was uh, was an issue for both sides. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was a big struggle. If one team had hit more at the line, it would not have gone to overtime. Uh. But uh, in OT, Crescent Valley is able to string together a couple really good possessions, and they're able to come out with a victory. It was, it was a really good basketball game. I will just say though that broadcasting spot at CV, it's it's interesting. <laughs> That's the Doug Blair broadcast. <laughs> Doug booth. Blair broadcasting booth, and the angle is probably a one of its kind in, in high school basketball. It feels like <laughs> it just so. So here's what it is: you come into the gym on the on the corner, the mm. corner of the court. And you're equal to the sideline where the front row of the seats would come and press row would be. You're, so that's where you walk in the door, one of the doors anyway, on the, on the parent side. And then as you're standing there on the corner of the court with, again, straight down the line is press row and whatnot, you look up and on the far wall in the upper left-hand corner to the left of the basket, behind the basket is that room that uh, is where broadcasters go, and they store some things in there, like a, a lot of trophies. A lot of trophies. I was I was making a joke yesterday. It looks just like the studio. There's things there from the '90s and '80s. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, like it looks just like the. This looks like just a branch of the, the KEJO studio. There's yeah. a 1983 second place basketball trophy in here. I'm like, <laughs> that would fit right in in the studio. I know, and or get it out there in front. But they have so many awards, they have to put some of them uh, up and out of the way. But yeah, that's where Doug Blair broadcasts mm. for years mm. um and it's i've i've called many games up there now i did manage to talk my way into being on the floor but that was with a different athletic director mm-hmm. to uh y- you can see everything that that's what <laughs> <laughs> that's that's for sure but appreciate crescent valley with the hospitality and a, a really fantastic basketball game and a top 10 matchup and yeah. i mean south albany was just on a roll they'd won their last five they had won by an average of 34 points a game and they go into Crescent Valley, who had beaten them three times last year, but had lost to them earlier this season. And mm-hmm. Crescent Valley goes wire to wire and gets uh, gets revenge on a really, really good basketball team. And South and, uh, is and a top five yeah, team. They're a top five team, and they will continue to play well throughout the season. They're both going to be very highly ranked in the bracket when it comes out uh, in March and they get into postseason play. And I wouldn't be shocked if they match up again for a third time like they did last season uh, once postseason play came around. Crescent Valley, of course, went and lost to Springfield in the final uh, last season in that in the 5A bracket. South Albany's going to look to try and uh, try and get on the mountaintop. They're good. Both two very good basketball teams. What's uh, our next game? We have a doubleheader on Friday, Corvallis and Dallas. Boys-girls doubleheader. 5.30 and uh, 7. At Corvallis. At Corvallis, Corvallis High School. Dallas, boys, girls. In boys play right now, West Albany and Woodburn are mm. on a collision course. They're both 9-1. and one. I was, We saw Woodburn. We had them our first game back on the 8th. That's a good team. Yeah. I mean, not the biggest team, but they, are, what, they have what, very good guards. What makes them so good? Very good guards. Very good shooting team as well. They they can they can operate on the offensive end. You know, traditionally, they have not been a good team. They, they're very good at soccer. And traditionally, they have not been. They had one guy, and I can't remember his name. People will text it in. Who and I believe he ended up playing at Western Oregon, who was really good. And I was calling games during that period. I think I saw him once, and, mm-hmm. and he was just dominated, like six, seven, six, eight, and dominated. And they had they had a great uh, you know band of parents and supporters who would follow him around to all the games, which was good for them because they're they're always good at soccer, but they're not good very much at, at any other sport. Uh, and they got to be on center stage that year, and here we are a few years later, and you say they're guard-dominated, uh, so oriented anyway. So mm-hmm. that's good for Woodburn. Mm-hmm. So it, it should be a good matchup on uh, 
uh, on Friday though, Dallas. Yeah, I haven't, yeah. se- I've yet to see Dallas on the on the on the hardwood. So either of these last two seasons, so that should uh, that should be good. Um, and the, I'll, I'm going to give a shout out to the the Corvallis girls team. Another excellent team. I mean, yeah. they are they are fantastic. They beat they beat Crescent Valley and earlier this go, week. When you go to Corvallis and you do those games, it's a who's who of Corvallis, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was quite the show out last time I was there. Pat Casey, uh, we'll, we'll, hear some, we'll hear some audio from Rich Dorman. He was there as well. Yeah, Rich Pat, Dorman. Yeah, Pat Casey. So, yeah, I see Pat Casey just standing there on the baseline between games. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Well, well, well there's Pat. That, that used to <laughs> occasionally Pat. happen. Scott, it makes sense. Game. His daughter's on the team. Yeah. His daughter's a starting point guard. Yeah. So, yeah, he and he, we, know, we know Scott. He loves... Uh, yeah, high school athletics and, mm. and stuff like that, and uh, an educator uh, of of people, sure. and no better example of that than than high school sports as well, and out there supporting. But the other ones too. I, mean, I was like, wow, it's like this is a celebrity showdown here. <laughs> this is pretty cool. <coughs> Former Beaver Joe Burton used to go to those games, and he'd go to Corvallis games and sit in with the students. And <laughs> he was so funny. I remember doing the three uh, A uh, basketball tournament at Gill Coliseum when Joe Burton was here, and when I think it was Central. He just embedded himself while he was a beaver in the central student body as they're doing all their cheers. And here's big Joe Burton and they're having a good time with him. And then they won the whole thing. And he goes down on the floor and he's high-fiving everybody with all the fans during that time period. He had a great time. He was a big kid. Love Joe Burton. Those were fun times. Okay. Portland Diamond Project or... Or basketball with uh, a Tennessee. Which direction do you want to go? Well, let's hear. Why don't we hear about from yesterday with baseball? I think that would be a, a good subject to broach on. We heard a lot of conversations yesterday from. Uh, so we heard from Travis Bazana, yeah, Micah McDowell, Jacob Kamatz, back and finally healthy. He's supposed to be up to about eighty-five pitches by the time. Uh, by the time two weeks from now rolls around, and then also from Rich Dorman and Ryan Gibson. Some, some very good comments from all five of those. Now I'm trying to find. Uh, I just clicked on Dorman. I see the cuts. Is that yeah. the main one from him? Uh, I have. So we have the two extended ones outside of those folders, but otherwise it's just cuts. I'd kind of like to let him just go, let him just talk. So that would be outside. Okay. But so, some. I mean, just really good stuff. I mean, they're they're ready to go. They're they're ramping up and and ready to go and. Um, some some good conversations from, um, especially, it, it's cool to see guys like Travis Pizzano sort of grow up while he's in college and, and become more the leader, and he's talked about how much he's grown into his leadership role and understanding what his role is on the team to to lead. And, you know, he sure, he could be a guy next year that's going to, uh, a guy that next year is going to be a, worth $10 million and he's going to be playing professional baseball in some organization. But until then, you know, he understands his, his role here at Oregon state and that he's got a, uh, if Oregon state's going to go to Omaha in the final year of the pack, I mean, he's the guy who's going to be the face of it all. Let's check in with Rich Dorman. You were there yesterday. Is they're getting ready? Hank Hager. Yeah. Uh, Here we go. Yeah, I mean it's it's a much better position from where we were at last year, especially towards the end of our season. Um, confident that you know Kamatz is healthy, Munt's healthy, um, Jaron Hunter's healthy, 
And that's a shot in the arm for us and just adds to our depth, especially with the strength of our freshman, incoming freshman class. So, Or could you just elaborate a little bit on Kamas, what you've seen out of him, like what has he been able to do? I mean, just your first time a couple weeks ago and just kind of your expectations on, on what he's going to bring this year. Well, he told me yesterday, which I already knew, but he's like, hey, I just, I, that's the hardest I've thrown. I didn't throw one pitch that hard all, all last season. So the velocity is ticking up where it needs to be now that he's coming into his junior year. Um, the command, the compete has always been there for Jacob. It's just a little bit lack of velo. And the fact that he's worked extremely hard and just that's ticked up a little bit is going to it's gonna help him a lot this season. That's like 92. Yeah, grab a two. Yeah, sat like 91. Rich Carey Acres. Okay. Uh, talk a little bit about your freshman and, uh, and who's looking good and maybe what roles you might have him in. Well... <clears throat> Holy cow, Eric Segura, he came out of the gate in his first live, and I mean, it was competitive down in the zone, attacking 93 to 95. Now, first outing, adrenaline, plus it was like 40 degrees, so 45 degrees, so there's another factor in there, but obviously Eric's done a tremendous job of like showing his competitiveness and that he, he could potentially be a starter for us. Is it this year or next year? Yet to be determined, but he's a warrior, he's competitive. So right now, if I'm ranking freshman, he's probably near the top. Um, Drew, Drew Talavs from Jesuit. No, Westland, sorry, Westland. Um, right-handed, been up to 95. So he's got big velo as well. Um, Leif Palmer, unfortunately, had a minor setback as soon as we got back from um, Christmas break. But he, he's on the mend, and he'll be in position to throw probably middle to the end of the year for us. Um, big kid from uh, Golden, Colorado, six five six six right-hander he's been up to the mid 90s um let me think uh you know those three for sure we got a matthew morell he's a super athletic kid who's we weren't quite sure we were going to get we knew we had a great athlete because he played a lot of football and um, but the velocity has kind of been a shot in the arm i mean he was 92 93 but it's quick has a little natural cut to it. He kind of found a slider this fall as well that he can rely on in the zone if, if, if his fastball command isn't there. And so he's been another tremendous freshman, um, you know, filling, filling up the zone as well. So that's kind of kind of where it stacks right now with those guys. Ryan, uh, just if you could talk us through a lot of what's on offense in the season ago. So where do you think this group is right now compared to, you know, this time last year? Yeah. Um, the fact that Brady Casper and Micah McDowell are back is pretty wild. We didn't expect that. And so really you look at our outfield from last year, Gavin, Micah, Brady, those three are back. Um, I'm... I always have high expectations for our offense going into the year. And last year's the same, had big time expectations. And nobody would have said that, you know, we're gonna replace the production that we lost in Melton and Boyd and Meckler and those guys from the year prior. And we ended up scoring more runs last year. And so this year, um, again, with the guys that are back, with the leadership of, of Boz at second, you know, um, 
and the way that Tanner Smith's playing the game and Mason Guerra and just that nucleus of, of returners, we're going to have a chance to score a lot of runs every time we run out there. Speaking of those runs, about a week ago when we were here, uh, Mason said that they're going to crack that 100 home run uh, mark, no problem. Uh, last year you guys hit 89, kind of curious about what you think on that claim and where you see this team been. Um, we, we have plenty of power. Um, there's a combination of guys that happens to be more than nine. I mean, we could run, you know, 13, 14 guys out there in a nine-man lineup, and everybody has a chance to leave the yard. Um, there's going to be big-time production that we expect from the guys that did it last year to, to give us a chance to do that. Um, our, our identity isn't necessarily tied into the just wrapped up in the long ball, but um, we definitely have a good shot to, to, get, to get to that number. Awesome. And back to one of your freshmen, uh, Easton Corey, two-way in high school. I was curious if you guys might be using him two-way or... Sorry about that. That's my mistake. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> Brian, last year of the Pac-12, or at least as we know it now, um, what are your thoughts on that? And, and can you talk about some of the other teams that you think are going to be title contenders? In the conference? Mm-hmm. Um, I, haven't, I haven't thought a lot about the other teams or really looked into much. Um, you know, UCLA is always going to have good recruiting classes, and they're going to have some talent. Uh, um, I, you know, I'll, I'll start thinking about them once we get you know leading up to leading up to their weekends. But Talk about the, the, being the, the last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is what it is. Um, baseball's in such a different different you know light than than football, and so. Um, for us personally, for Oregon State baseball, and I'm not going to speak for everybody else in the conference. Obviously, the other the other nine have gone to other conferences for next year, but we're in such a good spot. No matter what happens in the in the scheme of things, Coach Canham's made sure that um, with the independent schedule that we have going forward for next year, if it gets to that, we're going to be in a position to be able to host regionals and host super regionals. That's what matters the most. Um, we take care of our business uh, and put ourselves in a situation to, to host regional supers. That's what we want to do year in year out. So um, it, it's it's a it's something that our guys really don't even think about. I guess it's more you know Dor and Mitch and Joey and I talking to our recruits and letting the incoming guys know that they're going to be in be in good shape. So yeah. Thank you. What would your challenge to Baz be right now? I mean, it's kind of hard to envision him doing a whole lot more. I'm sure there's more there. Uh, and I guess just the expectations and the kind of pressures that he brings in with, you know, where, where he's supposed to be in the draft and all that stuff, just, uh, I guess, the season ahead right now, what is a challenge, challenge with him? Um, to keep him in the present, to keep him, you know, just in the moment each day. And he has an unbelievable tool set, skill set to do that himself. He's big in the mental game. He's a learner. He's always searching kind of ways to to improve. Um, so I don't necessarily worry about, you know, scouts and draft and expectations. You know, with him, he's going to 
he's going to be fine. He's, he's, a, he's a different different breed. Um, as far as challenging him daily, he's somebody that likes. He likes to, to, to be pushed. He likes to, if we're going 10% above game speed or whatever it may be, if it's, you know, velo machine, something to where we're challenging the guys, he's one of the first guys that's going to have the big energy for that type of stuff. So um, it's just continuing, continuing to do that and allow him to, to be who he is and be the leader that he is, but yeah. Ryan, is the power the best trait of this lineup or do you think it might be something else that we're going to talk about? Um, again, we're not going to hang our hat just on the long ball. We, we can really run. Um, we're still gonna we're still gonna drag and push. We're gonna we're gonna see the field. We're gonna be ball players. It's not just get up there and and take big old big old uphill swings. Um, so I think the the balance, the depth, the fact that we do have a chance to run a, a lineup out that can leave the yard speaks to to this group and their talent and the way they go about it. But um, we're gonna be able to score in a lot of different ways. As long as we, you know, have a good plan, stick to it, we'll, we'll, we'll be fine. Anybody else? Thanks, All right, good stuff. Sweet. You know, I think, couldn't really hear the uh, questions about... that well, but, uh, you know, the answers were You know, the biggest thing I took away from yesterday's press conference, both hearing Ryan Gibson talk about it, and then if we have some time later on in the show, we can hear Travis Bazana, Micah McDowell, and Jacob Kamatz, mm-hmm. is uh, they're pretty high on Brady Casper. Yeah. Travis Bazana used the words of Brady Casper being one of the best players in America while not even hitting in the middle of his of this lineup because that's how stacked they are. <laughs> they, I mean, that's that that's the kind of terminology that's being thrown around with the depth of this this upcoming lineup. And I mean, Ryan, that's, that's Ryan pretty Gibson crazy. Saying they could go thirteen fourteen deep. Yeah, thirteen fourteen with every guy being able to hit a ball out of the ballpark and put together a good professional at bat. That's what you want. The question: Does the the pitching match the offense? Oh, that is the the the. The, the way it was put, and I, I tra- this is all part of Travis Pizana's growth right here, is the way he he framed this. Um, there's a cut there if you want to if you want to find it while I while I describe what uh, a little bit of what he said. But he's like, listen, so the the bats are proven. We we know what the bats are, uh, but the the pitching while unproven, we've seen what they can do, and that's why we're really excited about that. Like, sure, it could, but we just the the results are not there on paper in the stat sheet. Um, but the the bats have and the, and the pitching wouldn't. So I thought Travis put it really well. The way I would put it is like the offense is like has really shown. I feel like it's a, a bunch of guys we know have done it, and the pitching staff is like there's guys that have done it. There's young guys that are the best freshman pitchers I've been a pop, like been around since I've been here. Then there's transfers that are, have some of the best stuff I've seen since I've been here. Like it's a mix of all quality talent, but then at the end of the day. Once 4,000 come out in Goss and um, it's a packed house or, like, everything really kicks off, you you never really know. So we're kind of talking about the things that we, we solidified, like, we know. Um, and I think the pitches are going to prove that and they're going to be just as powerful as what we are as an offense. But um, there's so, sort of more unknowns because there's just, like, guys that haven't been a babe yet. 
Oregon State is, is heavily favored to win the Pac-12 conference. Imagine winning the Pac-12 conference in the final year of the conference. Be pretty cool. Be a great way to send everybody off uh, before you become the Pac-2. We've got to get our final break in, and then we'll come back and wrap up this hour here on 1240 Joe Radio. Our thanks to Laura Berg for joining us at 11.05. It's not very often that we have a guest start right out of the shoot, but we do. We do. It happens. And uh, we're more than happy to accommodate them. Really want to get Aaron Fit on. He was busy tomorrow and Friday right when we started. So I said, well, let's tape something. So TJ and I are going to tape something at 10 o'clock tomorrow. We play that back in the hour. Um, much more of our baseball stuff that uh, TJ gathered yesterday and other things to talk about next hour. And Rich Burke at 12.05 will talk about his Blazers experience and some baseball stuff uh, and a few other things. So all of that straight ahead right here on the Joe Beaver Show. And TJ... <laughs> did you do the math wrong? Yeah, I did. I was thinking it was coming up on 50, 59 on to zero, but it was coming up 58 to 59. Well, uh, one, It sounded good, but uh, I missed it by a minute. One really interesting thing I'm looking forward to next hour. So the Portland Diamond Project is zeroing yeah. in on a location for a potential stadium. Uh, I have some thoughts on I do on too, it. and the biggest thing out of that right now, the biggest, most important thing out of that right now that I got after reading the Kanzano article, I know he talked about it on his show, is that the Diamond Project didn't go away. They're six years in. I think they still have their billion-dollar owners, and they're still interested. That's the most important thing. You can haggle about when and where and what will work and what won't work, but if you don't have guys working on it and still willing to do it, that's the most important thing, so that's what I got out of that deal. Now we have the minute gone by, back at 12.05. Time to enter the Magic Kingdom. Denise! Would you kindly clear the wheels? Okay, here we go. On three. One, two. Tweets and texts, faces and books. Tweets and texts and faces and books. Seems like it's more about FM and color TV. In such an age as this, is there any room left for something as simple as radio? We believe there is. Touchdown, Beaver! He's got a chance to go! 20, 15, 10, flag! Touchdown, Beaver! Back in the end zone! Caught! Touchdown! The Joe Beaver Show is on the air with Mike Parker and John Warren, two men on a mission to prove that AM radio is a viable and modern source for news and entertainment. So gather the whole family. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. If you don't have one, fret not. I'll have the management send you up a radio. Be a part of the triumphant return of amplitude modulation. This is the big one, boys. This is the one that brings us back. Soon, AM radio will reign king once more. <laughs> it's the Joe Beaver Show on the home of the beavers. Cool, cool beats, beats. Kill me! 1240 Joe Radio. Yeah, that's, that's just immature and obnoxious laughter. But it's funny. <laughs> I like it. I do, too. It's funny. It's just very funny stuff. Um, you know, these opens that we have, Mike and I were talking about it yesterday. Uh, some of them, if not all of them, are historical because they deal with the issues of the day when it was made in the fall of that year. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like, you'll, you'll hear the stuff about Gary Anderson and the, the, uh, the eclipse that we had in 2017. You'll hear, you'll hear stuff about... Uh, where, where can I find a book that's in relation to um, 
drawing a blank now, but he was a coach who was pretending to not know the rules, and uh, he's on CBS now as an analyst, and I'm just completely drawing a, drawing a blank. Not because I don't know, but because I'm 58 years old, and for some reason I can't think and do five things at, at one time. I can't do that. Our guest, Rich Burke, can. Rich Burke. And uh, he's, he's older than me and can do more than me, as we welcome in Rich Burke to the program. Hi, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing well. I don't know if I can do more than you. I've, <laughs> I've been uh, blessed with some opportunities, and, and uh, yeah, they've been great. You know, speaking of blessed with opportunities, you get the call. To, let's break it down. How did it happen? Who are you saddled up to to get the call to fill in for Travis, who's filling in for, for uh, uh, the other guy, Calabro, who got sick, I guess, and I guess Lamar was sick too, and you get called in to do uh, a Blazer game? Well, how did that all well, you, come about? You just mentioned his name, Lamar, uh, about 15 years ago. Um, I got the opportunity to start working college basketball games with Lamar, and we hit it off. And, you know, he has been so big in my career. I had an agent at the time, but he didn't do anything for me. And um, Lamar ended up finding an agent back east, and, and the agent said, hey, the guy who's uh, – uh, play-by-play on, on a lot of your tape. Does he have representation? And Lamar said, I'll check. So Lamar put me in touch with the guy, and, and he's been my agent ever since, and it's a big reason why I got on board with Pac-12 Network. And uh, so I'm just you know, so blessed to know Lamar, and then you know, he's been kind of championing my cause within the Blazers' offices for a while now. And last year, it turns out they uh, needed somebody because uh, – um, Kevin Calabro got uh, sick last year and had to miss two games, and so they moved Travis over to TV, and, and um, they needed somebody for radio, so they called me, and uh, you know I, I got the chance to call a couple of games last year, and then that just kind of uh, dovetailed into this year when, when um, uh, Kevin had to miss again because he was sick. Yeah, that, that's very cool. By the way, in, in, a, in a weird roundabout way, and, and for our, our audience, Rich and I go back 30 years uh, in, in broadcasting and knowing one another and working uh, with or alongside each other over 30 years, in fact, um, 92, I think it was 92 uh, when, we, when we first met. But you talk about Lamar helping you. I was doing fill-in for Mike like I've been doing for the past 25 years, men's basketball, when he's doing football. And uh-huh. we go to Cookville, Tennessee when Lamar is, I don't know what year he was, but He's on the team, and I chose him for my pregame profile. He comes to my room, and we're just watching a game on TV and, and chatting, and he's asking me all about it, all about what I do, and says, yeah, I think one day I might want to get into it. And then we conducted the interview, and that was that. And then, you know, moving forward, as he got into things like the Pac-12 networks and uh, some other things, you know, I would always remind him of that. You know, I got you started, Lamar. So how <laughs> strange to have that come all the way around, come back again, and now he's helping you. But that's really cool. So Isn't that funny? Who knows? Maybe if you don't do that interview, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I don't get this opportunity. <laughs> you know, the butterfly effect. <laughs> Rich Burke joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. Um, did you know how many games you were going to end up doing when they first called you this time around? I didn't. Um, I, I, it was supposed to be four. They had a four-game road trip, and um, they called me at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning and uh, said, could you do games tomorrow night in L.A. and Tuesday in Oklahoma City and Wednesday in Houston and then um, Friday in um, San Antonio? 
And I said, I'll have to get back to you. I called my boss at Pac-12 Network. On, uh, the only conflict was Friday. I had uh, the women's basketball game uh, between Colorado and Oregon State. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was able to, uh, able to get out of that. And um, then uh, uh, so I called him back and, and said I could do that after, of course, checking with my wife to make sure it was okay with her, too. <laughs> and so they said, okay, you know, okay. and this was a, at this point it's 1030 in the morning, and I needed to be at PDX for their charter flight at 2. And um, then they called back about a half hour later and said, hold up. Turns out Lamar is sick, too. And so they needed the pre-half and, uh, analyst, Antonio Harvey, to not only work in the studio uh, at Moda Center for TV, during pre-half and post, they needed him to do the radio analysis as well. So instead of sending me on the road, um, they had me call the games from the studio. Um, and uh, so uh. And, and it, it's not as good calling the road games from the studio because it's just not a good calling a game in 2D as opposed to being there and seeing it live. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, uh, yeah, I mean, I follow the NBA, but not nearly enough to be able to do a proficient <laughs> job right. calling play-by-play. And so I had to, for the next however long I was going to do this, I was drinking NBA from a fire hose. Yes. And uh, if I didn't have to uh, get on a flight and get on buses and, and go to four different cities, it would be better. And so I was really happy in this particular case that I got to call them from the studio. We were wondering about that while listening to it because you can sometimes you can tell and they just I don't know if it's rich, oh, it can't be rich because he would have done it right. It's just what he's getting as far as atmosphere noise to be piped in. Um, but the captain gets everything right, so it couldn't have been on his end for sure. <laughs> but of course, we, yeah. we carry the the Blazers on our sister station thirteen forty Clue AM, so it was fun to hear you. Um, and then, and then we'll, amongst ourselves, TJ texts me and Mike, is, is Rich on the road or is he in a studio? Because it just sounded like you were, but we weren't exactly sure, and that completely makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it would have been, obviously, in, in the end, it would have been better had I been on the road, but it, it, uh, they had to do it that way, and it, it kind of worked out for me. And then they called about Thursday, so in between the third and fourth game, and said, hey, if Kevin's not available Sunday, can you do it? And I said, well, I'm going to have to check because I have another game on Pac-12 Network. Mm. And um, I was supposed to do the Sunday game in Corvallis. Earlier in the week, they had switched me because I, I missed the Friday game. They had switched me to a game in Eugene. And I started doing the math in my head, and I figured out, you know what? I could do both. And so it turns out they did need on Sunday and Monday as well. But on Sunday, um, I called in uh, Oregon women's basketball game against Colorado in Eugene at noon, and then the Blazers and Bulls at 6 o'clock at Moda Center, a home game this time, um, that night. So I, I got to pull a fun doubleheader. That's amazing. And how fun was it, Rich? Rich Burke, our guest here on the Joe Beaver Show, getting uh, thrown into the Wolves, calling Blazer games, and then doing that. I love that that story right there. And how fun was it to go from from – uh, calling those Blazer games off of TV where you're really at the mercy of the shots that you get, and then finally, finally being able to be in the arena, be at home, see it, all the action and all the things you need to see. It's all, it changes everything. It does, it does. And, and I know you have called so many sporting events in so many different places, and I know you've probably been stuck in the corner and unable to see, and then, and then when, uh, the next time when you get a good view, yeah. it's like a breath of fresh air. It's like, wow, okay, I can do this. So 
Yeah, it was definitely easier. And it's funny that you mentioned 30 years because um, you know how certain dates stick in your mind? Mm-hmm. Well, the date, the, the date January 28th sticks in my, in, in my mind because um, that was my last ever day at Peter Jacobson Productions. I worked for the professional golfer for almost five years back mm. in the late 80s and early 90s. And um, my first year calling basketball play-by-play on the radio at the same time, uh, you and I were, I mean, you were a full-time employee at KUIK, and mm-hmm. I was there kind of kicking around. And by the way, you were an immense help to me back in those days because I didn't know how to operate equipment or anything. And you were just, you were the biggest help, and I really appreciate oh, that. thank you. Um, I get down to, uh, I had a game at Willamette, and it was my last day of work at Peter Jacobson Productions. And I get down to Willamette, and your friend and mine, Mike Gallagher, yeah. Um, who was the Willamette play-by-play announcer and still is doing play-by-play for high school sports down there. Yeah. My board craps out, doesn't work. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to get this game on the air. And it was like my sixth basketball game I'd ever called. <laughs> and uh, he had an extra board, pulled it out of his bag, and handed it to me. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is my backup board. <laughs> that. So I was driving home from the Blazer game on Sunday night, and I'm thinking about it, and I thought to myself, that was 30 years ago today. Wow. Wow. That's good. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback on that and tell a story that Beaver fan might not like. Uh, Pac-12 Women's Basketball Tournament in San Jose circa, I don't know, 2002, 2003. Something happened to my equipment. And because we all know each other, and many of us are friends in the business, um, a gentleman from the, uh, the program down south of us, he gave me some equipment to use so that I could get my game done because we were all there. Uh-huh. We were all there, right. so it worked out. It worked out perfectly, and you, you know, you just do what you got to do to get the right. job done. Um, you know, I want to ask you too about prep because when I was asked to do the fill-in for the pregame, halftime, postgame, even the fifth quarter, some I don't know, fifteen years ago, I was never uh-huh. warned. I was never. I never knew. And uh, sometimes I would know a little bit in advance because Jay Allen would go uh, with Oregon to do something, and then I would fill in for him on KXL in the mornings and then do Blazer stuff. But sure, I remember I, that. Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't really follow the NBA. I hated it. I was all about Oregon State in college. So every time that would happen, I had to do what Bob Costas said he did before he got his very first NHL job because he knew nothing about the sport. He said he rented a hotel room, locked himself in there, and did nothing but study, 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 and power study, and within like three days come out and know everything there is to know. And I, that's how I did it. Did you have to do that for these games that you just did? <laughs> it's so funny, John. That's exactly right. I got the call at uh, 1010 on Saturday morning what, 11 days ago now, and um, literally until I went to Fred Meyer yesterday, um, I did not leave the house to go anywhere or do anything other than to drive to Moda Center and do those games and drive to Eugene and do the women's game on Sunday. It, it was it was wall-to-wall, morning-to-night prep for that, because like you said, you know, I'm, I'm calling... Yeah, I mean, you were doing a bunch of other stuff. I was doing a bunch of other stuff. It, it, I'm, I'm calling all these college sports, and and uh, it completely overlaps the NBA season. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I, I love the NBA, but I don't follow it as much as I would need to, again, to be able to do this job proficiently. So, yes, um, I had to, to drink from the proverbial fire hose to be able to uh, – 
to uh, to pull this off. Was it Jeremy Grant at Houston with the three pointer that forced overtime off the window? Yes. That yes. was a great call. And again, that was in in the closet. You were in the studio. You weren't there. And I, <laughs> that was a great call. Yeah. Well. Well. Thank you. You know, we can always go back and 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 and. Uh, pick over our calls and think how we could have done it better. And, and I'm back listening to it. And then I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I didn't really say that he was off balance and, and <laughs> had a hand in his face. And, you know, we could, I always feel like we could do these things better. So I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, I feel like I learned some things that, you know, maybe next time I do it even better. Doing play by play off of a TV screen is the worst thing in the world. Um, I was uh, charged with doing that with, during the COVID year for Beaver baseball and, I just got ripped for it. Oh, he's horrible and everything. What people don't know is that on a right. on a feed that I got, I'm not kidding you, Rich. This literally happened. I was I was trying to do this game, and the school feed was all we had, and they were learning because the camera would be on the pitcher. They didn't have a center field camera, so the camera oh. would be on the pitcher. He would pitch it, and they wouldn't cut to the batter. So I couldn't oh. say swing and a miss. I couldn't say anything. And it was it was awful. And something similar happened to Mike later that year too. It was just all. I'm glad we're done with that era. And you only did it because of the whole people getting sick thing. They didn't make you do it. Real quickly before we uh, let you go, love Richburg. This is great stuff. We could talk sports and broadcasting for for a long time because there's so many different stories out there. But how much in tune and, and dialed in are you with the Portland Diamond Project? And 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 do you think? You know, because I know you're locked in with Major League Baseball. Do you think that there's a chance outside of Nashville getting one spot that the second spot might still go to Portland? I know they were way up on the list before the riots broke out. And ever since then, it's just there, there hasn't been a lot of love from Manfred or from others that, you know, in the discussion about it. And I'm just happy to see that, that the Portland Diamond Project is still alive after yesterday's announcement on picking up uh, what used to be Progress Downs Golf Course. Right, right. So, so you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not closely involved with it. Uh, I've said for a long time, I, I've said this ever since we, uh, people will never know how close Portland was to get in the Montreal Expos. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the, the funny thing is in, in other, in, in, in other places when people are trying to build a stadium, you know, it generally takes a bucket of money from the city and a bucket of money from the state and people in outlying areas of whatever state it is. Like, why do I want to put my money toward that uh, when it's so far away? Well, here in Oregon, 20 years ago, we got this. I think it was Senate Bill 5 that got passed and, and for $150 million from the state for the construction of a Major League Baseball stadium, mm. which at the time had gone a long way. It won't go nearly as far now. Um, and so they got the money from the state, but they couldn't get it from the city. Oh. And if they had been able to get money from the city, I really think that we would have had Major League Baseball here for the last 20 years. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not closely involved with it as yeah, I was okay. uh, 20 years ago. I think I, I do think I've, I've said ever since then that Portland in my lifetime will have a Major League Baseball team. And I don't know. This go around. I hope so. Yeah. Um, I don't know anything about it. I, it seems like good people doing work down there. Um, I, 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 I hope that uh, – I, I know that Portland would support it. Hey, last thing, quick thought on Oregon State women's basketball on the weekend that they just had. You were going to do Friday's Colorado game, and then they answered that with a huge win over Utah on Sunday. What about this team as you're working with uh, 
you know, these teams and, and these uh, these analysts, we had Mary Murphy on. I mean, this Beaver team could be and looks like they are the real deal. Yeah, I think so, too. And I always thought they were undersold. And um, uh, Scott Rook is such a good coach. And, and I've, I've told him this. You know, a lot of coaches talk about uh, family. Uh, and he really lives it. And um, I know the departures of Kennedy Brown and Taylor Jones and, and others hurt him, but he says in each case it, there was a legitimate reason why they had to go, mm-hmm. um, why why they went where they went, um, and uh, so. But still, you know, it, it, it truly is a family there, and I I, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, Tamia Gardner, Reagan Beers, Talia von Olhoffen. Mm-hmm. Um, how could this team not be really good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I'm just I'm so impressed with the program overall, and 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 with those players, and and Reagan Beers in particular, who we've interviewed her a couple of times after games, and and she's just so bright and engaging. Um, I really enjoy uh, you know, calling her games, and I, I just think the team is so good. I'm not surprised what they're doing. Yeah, well, Rich, you are the uh, consummate pro, and I just absolutely. Uh, Love listening to you and watching you and knowing that we, we go back so far. Thanks for taking time out for us. Great story on getting that, that Blazer gig, and uh, I can identify with some of the challenges. Great stuff, and, and uh, we'll get you on again and talk about some other stuff soon. Thanks, buddy. Oh. Okay, hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. It's honor to be on. All right, there you go. That's Rich Burke, who uh, you hear often when he does Pac-12 uh, basketball, men's, women's. He's done some baseball, I think. Uh, Pac-12 baseball and, and a bunch of other stuff as well. Fun times. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Rich actually touched on something that TJ's been chomping at the bit to get to. Just can't get out of the chute here at uh, Beaver Park as we, you, you know, the, the racetrack. Just can't get out. And that is, well, there's a couple of things, but one of which is what Rich touched on and that $150 million deal, but it was too far away. You don't want to get too far away from the downtown area, or at least where there's easy ways to get to said ballpark. And TJ has examples of programs that have done that, and they don't do so well. In fact, there's one statistic on on uh, um, attendance that's really quite amazing. And we'll talk about that when we come back right after this. Plus, your phone calls or your texts at 541-497-5356. You got to do what you got to do. Welcome back here. <laughs> we continue, I should say, with the Joe Beaver Show. So this idea, Portland Diamond Project comes up, says $50 million, they'll buy this Red Tail Hawk uh, golf course area, and I don't know if it's beyond the course, the course itself, it's 164 acres. It's, it's uh, enormous. Up by Washington Square, and I used to play that course, it was once called Progress Downs, and it has nice facilities there, a nice uh, clubhouse, whatnot, my brother got married there, or at least had his reception there many, many years ago. And it's a nice place. It's it's not easy to get to, though, because you need either 217, which is packed all day. All day, 217 is packed. Or if you came in from Portland's side on Highway 26, you're still coming in on, on uh, 217. It would be difficult to get to. So they eschew the idea of northeast Portland, where the Lloyd Center is, but that's serviced by Max, and you could get there easily. It's got parking lots and mm-hmm. streets. Centrally located, too. Centrally located, but it's too small. Just barely big enough from the edge of first base behind the stadium walls on the outside to the same thing on third base to fit in that block or two-block radius. That's mm. just It barely fits in there, and that would be it. And so they really would rather have the spread-out ability 
of being on the edge of Portland, which is by Washington Square, and that area, but not as easy to get to. So talk about what you were telling me statistically when it comes to fans and getting into ballparks when teams aren't centrally located. So let me just start with the, like how I look at this geographically. So like geographically, like you said, not the, this is not the easiest place to get to. There are not major freeways near it. They're uh, near, meaning running next to it. Yeah. There are no major freeways running next to it. You'd need to get onto 217 to get there. Right. That's problem number one. And that's always packed in the always, daytime. Yeah, without a baseball a, yeah. a baseball event going on there. Uh, two, I, I mean, I'm look, the, the public transit there is not not as good. So, like, I pull up the transit map on my map on my phone, and I look at that, and it's there's not a lot. No, there's a max train that goes on 26, but that's five miles away. And there isn't a branch that leads that breaks off to go right to where where the the stadium would be. Now the Beaverton Transit Center is right close ish to there. That's a uh, that's an option there. But so w- when I look, uh, I'm not a huge fan of of teams and cities building ballparks way way outside of the mm-hmm. the metro area. I mean, this is technically the metro, but right. metro meaning within like preferably within the city limits because that's where the most of the people live. Yeah, and you want to make it especially baseball as convenient as possible. For people to go to your games because you're not just selling a Saturday, a Sunday, a Friday. You need people to go to games on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday during the week on a work and, week and the evening time when it's work and school the next day. So there has to be quick in access and quick yep. out, quick out access. So that's why if you look at the Lloyd Center, like the Lloyd Center spot is probably about as good as you could get. It, now it's not, it's not as big as you said. Um, so the, the problem is, will you build a stadium and you can't build around it, which is what a lot of teams do nowadays. They, right. they want to own the real estate around their stadium. I'll get into that a little bit more here, but you, you, it would be harder to do that there right. for an ownership group. Well, that's less incentive. We can't make as much money on that. Even if it's a better location for all the fans, we, that's, uh, that, that's just inconvenient. We would have to buy out a bunch of contracts. We would have to, um, you know, the, the construction would create Plus uh, a lot of with, congestion. With buildings that have been there for a hundred yeah, years and yeah. things like that. Whereas 164 acres of golf land, you can build your own hotels, mm. your own shops, restaurants, bistros, all of that, and own all of it. My, so the, the, again, the issue I have is going out there. First of all, you take it outside of like the city fabric, really like of all the, Think of, like, look at this location. Is this a good location where the Red Tail Golf Course is outside of Beaverton? Uh, is that, like, a place for a regular working-class person to go to a baseball game on a weekday? It's not bad if there was a highway or a freeway that took you right to it, but there yeah. isn't. There is no way for somebody. The Maybe the biggest issue, there's really not really a way with somebody without a car to get there. And that's a problem. Right, because location-wise, it's fine. It's yeah. on the outskirts of Portland proper, but it's in the area where everybody goes. The zoo's not far behind, not far away. you got a PGE Park, uh, you know, where you where baseball or soccer is, rather, mm-hmm. uh, is not too far by car. But you're right. It's the only way to get there is by car. Yeah. And so you're asking your regular working-class family on a weekday to get in the car uh, and wherever you might be located – it would be super convenient if you're in the southwest Portland area. It's, it's not that far by mm-hmm. car. But think of everything you're asking. You're asking somebody to, first of all, get in the car, sit in traffic, drive to the ballpark, yeah. pay for parking, pay for tickets. 
go in, watch the game, buy concessions, buy drinks, et cetera, et cetera, then get back in their car and sit back in traffic, driving back to where they need to go on a regular old weekday. That's right. very inconvenient, opposed to, say, something like T-Mobile Park in Seattle. Yes, the Seattle bias is coming out. I get it. Yeah, You can get to T-Mobile Park by a variety of buses, the link light rail, or you could drive. You can do any number of those things. And it is located centrally near Bellevue. If you're coming from North Seattle, it's easy to get to by transit. If you're coming from South Seattle, it's easy to get to by public transit. If you want to take a ferry across the Puget Sound, you yeah. get on a ferry, it drops you off on uh, on the waterfront, and you can walk over to the ballpark easily. Yeah. And then when the ball game is done, you can walk back over, get on a ferry, and go back. It, it just provides all these options. What if you live in Vancouver on a weekday? Do you want to go to a game there? No. No, you don't. And that's a that's a big population center. Not not without a train. They they need a train to get you there. Yeah. Um. And so let me have. So I had, they have, I told they must you, have a plan for it. Though. I hope they have a plan because they did all of the assessments and the the studies. They're not going to plop down fifty million dollars if if what we're talking about is so easily you know talked about and thought about. And I understand why they're looking at it this way because the modern ballpark wants to model themselves as a stadium district, not just a stadium. You want to have other things around the stadium that people are like, ooh, I want to spend money here, spend money here, right. spend money here. So the ownership group, they not only own the baseball stadium, they're real estate developers. They want to own the whole real estate right. around the stadium, whether it be a hotel, whether it be the apartments, whether it be the restaurants, whether it be a sports bar, all of these things. <laughs> Do they not have that in Arlington, though? So, yeah, so let me get to Arlington. Uh, they pro- uh, um, I could pull up a map here and, lo- and look at the other things around there. Uh, so the examples I had, uh, I was thinking of a couple of examples of, of major stadiums, baseball stadiums located well outside downtown areas yeah. and population centers. And I think of the Texas Rangers, whose ballpark is in Arlington. It's not in Dallas. It's not in Fort Worth. It's in Arlington. Now, Dallas is Market 5, I think. It's it's enormous, yeah. Market 5. But still, I look on you know a World Series championship winning roster that only drew the 16th most fans in baseball. That was quite a lot, but you're telling me Seattle, which is seven spots lower in population at Market 12, drew on average 2,000 more fans. Uh, yeah, about 2,000 more fans a game over the course of a season. Uh, 41 games times 82,000 more fans. How much of that was due to inaccessibility of stadium? And how much do you lose out on gate revenue and Mm -hmm. beer revenue and food revenue and and revenue like that? And then I look at at Arlington and I look at that stadium complex. I mean, that's where Jerry's World is. Uh, That's where the old Rangers ballpark is. You know, there's a couple things around it. There's some restaurants. There's a hotel right next to it. There's a Texas Live, which I'm sure somebody owns. I think I would guess Jerry Jones owns this stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna take a swing and say Jerry owns a lot of this stuff here, uh, but not the Rangers ballpark. So there, I mean, there's some stuff around there, but it's just again, it's not convenient. You couldn't walk to the stadium. This place is in the middle of like a right next to a freeway, right in the middle of the suburbs. <laughs> the only way you get there is if you're. On a weekday, it's like, okay, we're ready to go spend $40 on parking before we even buy a ticket. Although in Arlington, though, don't they have, like, massive freeways that basically dump you right into the stadium parking lot? They do massive freeways for a lot of people. There's still still a lot of people there, and they still choke up and and sit in traffic. And it's sprawled. Yeah. Right? It's not close. As a really good example of what you're talking about was the Pontiac Silverdome. Hmm. It's Detroit, but they're in Pontiac, a yeah. different municipality, and it was out in the middle of nowhere, and this big, beautiful stadium, and they 
imploded to build Ford Field, which is, uh, as I understand it, closer to downtown. And they don't have a problem filling Ford Field or Comerica Park, which are right next to each other right. because it's centrally located. The other example I like to use, and this is a true and tried uh Example is the Tampa Bay Rays. The Tampa Bay Rays have forever struggled to fill up their ballpark. Well, I went and I punched it in. Uh, so the distance from downtown Portland, which we'll, we will use as the central point, mm-hmm. to uh, Red Tail Golf Course is about 23 minutes, about 13 miles. Mm-hmm. Tamp from Tampa, downtown Tampa, to uh, Tropicana Field, where the Rays play, is about 30 minutes or 23 miles. Mm. It's a little bit farther. They have forever struggled to fill up their ballpark because, I mean, their ballpark is essentially on another peninsula from where Tampa is and where the main population center is. And because of that, they can't get people out there to go to the games on a regular day. It just, why would you want to put yourself through a rush hour traffic to go to go sit there? And, and go out to the outskirts to go watch a baseball game. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'll tell you, though, all this to say, there must be a plan. I hope so. Because they just, I, I know they wouldn't, they, there must be a plan if there is, and even if there's not, but there must be. I can't wait, and I, I love the thought that they're still alive. They're still in, in, you know, trying to come up with a way to make it happen and get that one expansion team. Because I think a lot of people are... Um, Kind of uh, convinced that Nashville will get one for sure. Yeah, and I mean that would be good. That'd be good balance. Um, and you know, you I'd love the rivalry between Portland and Seattle. Yeah, that would be that. good. I would be up there all the time. That would be good. Yeah. So the so uh, that would be that would be good. But I'm just I'm I would be a I'm sh- again sure they've thought this out. I, I would be a little bit worried because the, there are things that come along with that. I mean, and we see it with teams that don't draw well. They don't spend. You want your team to spend and invest in the product right. on the field. But as we've seen time and time again, especially this offseason in baseball, teams that are struggling financially will not double down and invest in their team. And if they don't invest in their team, then you get a situation like they have in Tampa, like they do in Oakland, like they do in Kansas City, which is another ballpark, which is way, way out in the middle of nowhere, placed, plopped down in the in the middle of a field in a parking lot, way out in the suburbs. Yeah. That's hard to get to. And asking people on a on just a regular weeknight, hey, come watch your favorite baseball team. Oh, I'll pass. Well, Royals, a, it, Royals do okay. Royals and Chiefs are right next to each other. The, but you're right, it's uh, out in the middle of nowhere. It is. Uh, well, the Royals are right are below Tampa Bay in attendance. It didn't help that they weren't great this past year. See, but t- The thing about Tampa Bay is they managed to make it. They're good. They were loaded. Now, I don't know how they are now after... after loaded, still don't spend. One year of... They've managed of, uh, to find a way out of the restrictions they have to succeed. And it's possible, but I know fans would rather not watch what Tampa Bay puts out there every year because they want players to attach to. They want their team to do what the Mariners did with Julio Rodriguez and sign him for a 17-year contract. So he's always there. Yeah. But yeah. if you can't draw and... I don't know what their television deal would look like. I would imagine they end up on route or if route still exists then, but I'm not totally sure. Uh, like, it's a good question. Let me like, let me look at the top 10 in attendance and we'll just see where these ballparks are located. Dodgers ballpark, right smack in the middle of LA centrally located Yankees in the Bronx, centrally located, easy to go to San Diego, centrally located in San Diego, St. Louis, the if you get a chance to go to St. Louis and go to a Cardinals game and see what they have built, so not only is the ballpark in a premium place, yeah. right in downtown St. Louis, but they built out the stadium district around it. So you get a combination of what 
I imagine the Portland Diamond Project is trying to do with all the space they're built, but they built it in a premium location as well, so everyone can come from around the city in the suburbs or in the city itself to come watch the game itself. Atlanta, that is a suburban one. I will give that one. That one is a little more suburban, but they have a stadium district as well, so that's a, that might be an example for, for Portland uh, of what to use. Philadelphia, uh, in the city, Houston, in downtown, Toronto, downtown, Chicago, uh, North Chicago. Yeah. I, I'll say that that's in the city limits, so that, that counts. Um, and then Seattle is number 10, in, and that's a downtown stadium, easy yeah. to get to. It's uh, And then you look at the bottom. I, I mentioned the bottom. The A's, they have a dump of a ballpark. Right. Don't need to explain that. Miami, I, I know that one's not the easiest to get to. 29th in attendance. Kansas City, in the middle of nowhere, they also stink. 28th in attendance. Tampa Bay, in the mid, uh, way outside mm-hmm. of the population center. You don't want to be down there. And as Rich said, he believes Portland could support an MLB team, but it will be significantly harder to yeah. support that team if the average working-class fan on a weekday cannot get out to the game, and all of a sudden you look up, it's only 11,000 in the middle of the week, and that doesn't look very good. That doesn't, but let's just hope, as we go to Dave from up north, that there's a plan for that. Dave, welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Uh, good afternoon, fellas. Uh, let me just offer, I, I want to get to the stadium location question first, but since Beaver Baseball was a first-hour topic, I just want to revisit a, an observation I've made before, not to put too much pressure on the team, and it looks like we're well-equipped this year. But, John, you will recall in particular, relative to the old discussion of what is a reasonable expectation of Oregon State football, of course, all of that dynamic has changed with the demolition of the conference. Right. But as I've long maintained with Oregon State baseball, we have a demonstrable, measurable metric regarding what should be an expectation of Oregon State baseball. And I maintain it's three trips to Omaha per decade. Casey did it in the first decade of this century. He did it in the second decade of this century. And the clock is running. This is the year. Oregon State's going to stay on that schedule. Because they went 4, 5, 6. They went 13, 18, 19. Clock's running. This team, it's Omaha or bust. I, I know that's famous. That's classic fan speak. And I know you guys are sometimes uncomfortable with that. But I'm just laying it out there. Clock's running. This is the year to get there. So to the baseball stadium. <coughs> well, when, hold on. I want I I to no, chime in on this because I have a question for you. And not, not to disagree. Okay. I don't disagree. But the thing about blue blood programs like an LSU, they have everything you would need. 10,000-seat stadium that's filled every night. They have the money. They have this. They have that. They have all the things to be who they are and have that same expectation. Now, Oregon State has everything, but on a smaller scale, you're still in the Pacific Northwest, cold weather. You're still in a less populated area for recruiting. So, again, I'm not arguing, but I do pose the question, do you have those expectations because they've done it in the past? Because I think they've done it in the past, which is unbelievably and miraculous. You go from one great coach to another one. But is the infrastructure the same between the two? Thus, should the expectations between the two be the same? Well, John, uh, uh, fair enough. Let's let's engage in that dialogue. First of all, at LSU, they have a reasonable expectation of getting to the College World Series. 
six or seven times a decade. I'm not establishing that as a for the reasons you document. I'm not. I'm not suggesting that as the threshold with Oregon Oregon State's facilities. It, I mean, they're building a fifty million dollar facility out in center field, John. It's, <laughs> and there's there's plans to improve and expand the stadium. Yeah. So you can't say the the effort, the donor community, the institution, the program, the coaches, the the advancement office. You can't see. You can't say the effort's not being made. No, it's so there. I'm not saying it's we there. Need to be there every year. So, yeah, no, Sorry, keep, go- keep going. No, keep going. No, it's there. Everything is there, save for the location geographically and population-wise, because everything else we were talking about, you're right. It's, it's all equal, too. The stadium's not as big, and the, and the fan base, I don't know if you, if you had 10,000 seats, if you could fill that every night. But, if you, but LSU seems to be able to, because they don't have as much going on down there. But everything else is equal. You're right except for those three things. Stadium's a little bit smaller for total income uh, on tickets. And then location in the country for recruiting and for playing and, and, and population base for what you're drawing from. The only thing that makes me uncomfortable about that, John, is that that's a little of an inkling, a little of a lean into excuse making. <laughs> and I just don't I, I just don't I just don't like that tenor. There's no reason to. The team can recruit. It has it has it has, uh, has a great history. It has it is John. Let me put it this way: No Division One college baseball team has won more national titles this century than Oregon State University. So don't start going into the all oh, poor us in Corvallis. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just well, just putting it out there to to see if if it's. I'm even just asking the question that you're posing. I know. And that is, and is, that, is that a realistic expectation? And I'll let the listeners and the texters and everybody follow that up, and I'm not saying that you're wrong. Okay. Well, I appreciate that, John. <laughs> uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, let, we'll continue this discussion uh, over a beer someday, if not, uh, if not on the air. <laughs> so relative to the Portland uh, baseballs, well, first of all, let me – I'm I'm in the middle of ta- I'm in the middle of taxes. I got to get ready for a yeah. talk. I got to give Saturday, so I've only had one ear on the show. So before I make a fool of myself with my suggestion, is that a done deal with the that golf course? No, two seventeen negotiating. It's okay. negotiating, yeah. But they put a lot of money okay, into so, it. <clears throat> okay, so half rhetorically, let me ask you guys: Do you not suspect this is a trial balloon they're putting up there in order to gauge? Community, public policy, potential fan interest—is that yeah, kind yes. of the underlying dynamic? Yeah, I'm sure that's yeah. Yes. Yeah, but an offer an offer has been made, and I, for, we understand it to be about a fifty million dollar deal. Yeah, well, well, let me just chime in, and I have, again, I have, it's like the Detroit football coaching decisions. I have no real dog in this hunt. Where I mean, I'm more far more likely to go to a major league baseball game in Seattle than in Portland for obvious reasons, although I'm on the road a lot through Portland area. And I dare say, uh, maybe TJ, because he's coming back and forth from his homestead up here. But, John, I think I'm going through Portland traffic, I dare say, more often than you are. I think putting something in the vicinity of that uh, confluence of 217 and I-5, Washington Square, Wilsonville, this, for all the reasons TJ has cited, this is a profoundly bad idea. I mean, I just I I'm agree. Just offering it out there. 
No, I, I agree. Unless they've done their, their homework, and if you're going to spend that kind of money, one would think you would do your homework, there would be a plan for some kind of uh, light rail or, or, or way to, to, get, to be able to get in there. Because as it is, TJ and I are not disagreement. We're just talking about it. Well, as somebody going through that corridor 30 times a year, football, baseball weekends, I mean, I'm on that road, I'm in that traffic nexus all the time. And just as a kind of a layman outsider, I think uh, anything, anything west of I-5 in the Portland suburbs, anything near, anything remotely near the Wilsonville clock is just, is just anathema to me. I maintain, gentlemen that the area they ought to be looking now again, this is someone say, well, of course, someone that lives in the state of Washington is going to say this. <laughs> I think the corridor that they ought to be looking at isn't north and south. It's east and west of Portland. And I maintain something in the 205, something out by the airport, where traffic is infinitely more fluid than it is the 5217 Wilsonville sector, where you've already got light rail that can be extended maybe a little bit, east of 205, out towards Government Island, maybe on Government Island. You're not, they're not wrong. Closer to Vancouver, too, Dave. They must have looked. They must have looked. I I agree with you because there's there's max lines that go all the way out there, and it seems to be out there as well. Real quick, do you remember the vote that failed? Were you in Tumwater? Were you in the Pacific Northwest when the vote that failed to build a dome stadium at Delta Park? I think it was, I don't know, 69? I don't, but I remember hearing of it, and that, and interestingly enough, Johnny, because I think you're onto something there. Of all, and I'm, I've got a map right in front of me. I'm just looking. I'm just looking at this, going through my mental map of what it is to drive through that. The only, only parcel of property, sector of property, even remotely adjacent to I-5 that looks practicable to me is the Delta Park area. Everything else, I just can't see it working. For all the reasons TJ and you have talked. Yeah, about. that was that was a project that uh, was on the ballot, and uh, Oregon voters voted it down. I think the Colts had said at the time, "We'll move, we'll move out there if you build that." Now that one's a little shaky, but I'm pretty sure the Colts had had committed to coming out if that one passed, and that was before Seattle. The Seahawks would not. Maybe they would be there. Maybe they wouldn't. But Oregon or uh, the state of Oregon would have had the first NFL franchise. Uh, in 69, I think it was 69, when that vote was going down. And it, it, it failed by the slimmest of margins. And for decades after that, sports fans have been saying, oh, the Delta Dome, the Delta Dome, if we would have just said yes to that, the Seahawks would be in Portland rather than in Seattle. But um, now these things go back a long how about, way. How about the Jensen, <coughs> Jensen Beach area, John? I mean, it seems to me, again, I have to concentrate going over that bridge. I don't want the lanes are narrow. But it strikes my opinion, and that's actually kind of a, I guess this is not a shot directed at the state of Oregon. I mean, I make enough enemies on this show without <laughs> going looking for more. But you look at the redevelopment of the Vancouver waterfront along yeah. juxtaposed to I-5, and you look at the Oregon waterfront on that side of the Columbia, <laughs> the state of Oregon ought to be ashamed of the way that's I know, I, I know. You're not wrong. Where those old, where those old Red Lion hotels should be, mm-hmm. that's where the ballpark should be, part of a redevelopment project. What's better 
I mean, Bill Walton would love it going to baseball games on the Columbia River, River <laughs> of Promise, the Lewis <laughs> Clark Pathway to the West. <laughs> You're not wrong. We got to go. Thanks for the call, Dave. Take care, guys. All right. We got to take a break. It's just a short one. And then when we come back, I want to mention something very important. Uh, and then we'll kind of close up shop for today. And again, our thanks to uh, Laura Berg and Rich Burke for uh, being our guests today on the Joe Beaver Show. Be right back. Okay. We got a couple of minutes, but I, I want to do this before we run out of time. And we're going to mention this uh, today, tomorrow, and Friday. And that is the service for Tim Reynolds. Tim Reynolds, uh, Harold Reynolds' brother, and one of uh, eight Reynolds uh, in the family who grew up and, and uh, ran uh, roughshod all over Corvallis' kids playing sports and doing all these things that we all wax poetic about. Tim was, uh, he, he recently passed, and his service is coming up. He, um, he was a big fan of this show. He was a big fan of this show. My son is friends with his son, Nathan, and I know Mike's daughter, Lydia, is real close with Nathan. And uh, a lot of people in our listening audience know Tim Reynolds and, and know the Reynolds family and everything. So just want to mention uh, the service celebration of life coming up on February 3rd, which is, uh, what's that, Saturday, noon to 2 at First Congressional Church in Corvallis. He was born in 1958, uh, Mike's age, my older brother's age. He might have been, it was either Tim or Terry Reynolds who was on the Corvallis team in 1974, the fall of 74, and they played a semifinal game in the playoffs against my Lake Oswego team, and I didn't know Corvallis. I didn't know anything outside my own bubble, and, and we were driving down 22-17, and Bob Clonch, our quarterback, throws a pick in the end zone, and it's run all the way back up to midfield by one of the Reynolds, I think it was Tim, and to uh, seal the victory for, uh, for Corvallis, and they went on to I think lose to Legrand in the in the finals. Let's go to Mike in Seattle. I'll mention this again before we uh, be, uh, today, tomorrow, and Friday. But Mike is pretty impassioned about that last phone call. Hey, Mike. Okay, the baseball stadium here in Seattle, or in Seattle. I'm not in Seattle. I'm in Phoenix right now. But the baseball, but the only way the Cisco Field or T-Mobile works is because they have mass transit, you know, that gets you down to the stadium. Yep. There's a train station, there's light rail, there's the ferries, as you say. To put anything at Jansen Beach would be ludicrous. There is no light rail that goes there, and that's a huge oversight. There's, there's no Amtrak train that goes by there. If it does, it doesn't stop. The only way to go is like they did down here in Phoenix. They put that stadium for the Phoenix Cardinals, John. I know you've been to that. That was way the heck out there where there's flat land, big parking lots, big roads, and now they've built up entertainment around it. Mm-hmm. Putting it at 270 feet for progress down, unbelievably bad idea. Uh, all I can think is that the city wants to give it away because golf in the city of Portland is extinct probably. Uh, so you got to go out by can, go out by Clackamas. Uh, you got to go uh, out in the farmlands of the Willamette Valley, you know, to get people that can move there. and then, But you have to have a public transit component, don't you? Yeah, you do. And, um, Mike, uh, I, I think a point there, you brought up the, you brought up the, the stadium that the, that the Cardinals play in, State Farm Stadium. 
but uh, so you you, yeah. you make a good point with that. But I think the the more the better comparison to that is not the Cardinal Stadium; it's the Coyote Stadium right next to that, and the struggles they had with that stadium because they don't play there anymore because they couldn't get enough fans to go out there. And I think that might be that's a that's a negative to your point. Yeah, but I don't think that's. I don't think that's because of the venue or the location. I think that's the sport. Hockey in Phoenix is a non-starter. But you've got to get out wide where there's a lot of land. And then you've got to do like they do at SoFi, where the key is to get inside the gate, and then there's tons of entertainment in there. Mike, we got less less than ten seconds. We got less than ten seconds. Sorry to thank you for the call, Mike. Call tomorrow. All right, that'll do it. Thanks to Laura Berg, Rich Burke, and the discussion here on twelve forty Joe Radio.